Hey, Dunker Punks. Today we're going Brethren Taboo and talking about what poet Samuel Coleridge once put into everlasting imagery, saying, The bees are stirring and the birds are on the wing. Stay tuned. I don't want to be rich. Don't want to be popular. Don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat. Don't want to be ignorant. Don't want to be blindfolded. I just want to be countercultural. I don't want to be violent. Don't want to have a vendetta. Don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving, organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I Inspiration. I wanna be like John Wesley or Sarah Major or Anna Mao. I wanna be like Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr. Like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Berlin or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ. But mostly, I just wanna be me. I just wanna be me. Welcome to the Dunker Punks Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Krause, and I'm going to keep it short and sweet so we can get right to the interviews. I'm so happy Ben Bear is with us again this week to broach a topic I rarely hear talk about openly in the church. To get us started, here's Ben. One thing I've come to appreciate about this particular podcast is that it addresses topics that sometimes are difficult to discuss. Whether it's politics or healthcare or religion or anything in between, it can be a touchy subject sometimes. And I appreciate that. I kept that in mind as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about this week. And so I came up with a topic that can be kind of squeamish, uncomfortable for a number of us. Sex. Now, we're not talking about sex just collectively, but more specifically, we're going to talk about responsible reproduction and how that ties into our Earth's population. 
I thought I'd go ahead and gather a few perspectives on it, so I reached out to one of my peers and also got in touch with a couple that came from a generation before me. Let's hear what they have to say. I'm all right. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction, who you are, what you do, all that sort of stuff? Sure. Uh, My name is Laura Whitman D. As you said, um, I am currently a social work student at Widener Widener University. I am a master's level social work student um, with a emphasis in trauma. And I have previous experience working at the Planned Parenthood in Pittsburgh. And I am recently a newlywed. Well, cool. Congratulations. Thank you. And so, um, do you have a better way of explaining what responsible reproduction uh, looks like in the 21st century? Yeah, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, in the past, um, women and married couples, um, as most people were back then uh, in society, they didn't have the resources we have now to control when and what time they want to become parents. Um, So a lot of times they had multiple children going into five, six, seven plus children. Um, Nowadays with, you know, the invention of birth control and um, other prophylaxis that we can use to prevent pregnancy, it has really um, created a downward trend in how many children people are having. And a lot of people are um, looking at having less children or adopting children in order to make sure that they aren't contributing to um, our resources in the world um, going towards first world countries that have lots of children and not to third world countries that um, can't get those resources. I find it to be a really interesting topic, and it seems like a really pertinent one in this day and age, but oftentimes it seems like it's one that's difficult for people to discuss. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of times um, just because family planning is difficult to talk about, um, mostly because it revolves around the issue of sex, and um, there's still a lot of people out there who think that sex should just be for producing children, and many times as many children as you possibly can. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it, just the stigma that goes along with that. Okay. Yeah, I know growing up in my household, sex was certainly not something that was readily discussed. And even through college, it was, Mm -hmm. if you discussed it, it was in a comical sort of way or maybe even a bragging sort of way. Right. But it wasn't necessarily in an informational setting or situation. And that was definitely true for me as well. And I think even in my high school, there was a lack of sex education. And I think that also contributes to, you know, a lot of pregnancies that aren't planned. So you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but gender inequality seems to play a factor into this conversation. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, a lot of the birth control methods are women-oriented, especially the ones that are the most effective. And some people have issues with that, just, you know, women making the decision to what they can do with their body. And um, also it can lead to 
um, difficult discussions about abortion and, you know, how that whole debate is a very hot topic issue. Um, and that can contribute to kind of the tensions that go along with that. It, there's a lot of issues with, you know, men accepting that women have the right to have, you know, protected sex and fun sex, you know, just for purposes of not procreating. Have, do you know of methods that have been successful as far as to broach the topic, whether it's in your own life or whether within public school settings or in cultural settings? Definitely. Um, for personally, when I first went to my doctor to talk about birth control, I was told that um, because I had an issue with time, you know, with pills, I wasn't comfortable swallowing them, that my other only option was a chewable pill. Um, and, but there are a lot other options out there, and I just didn't know it at the time. Um, so instead I was told I could take a chewable pill, and then I got a morality lecture about, you know, I should be, you know, make sure I have sex with that one special person. Which at the time I noticed that I felt really uncomfortable with what she was saying because, you know, maybe I wanted to have sex with multiple people. Or maybe I was in an abusive relationship. You know, she didn't know my full story. And that wasn't my case, but it could have been the case for someone else. So, um, when I went to Planned Parenthood, I learned a lot about the different types of birth control that are out there. And I do my best to educate my friends, educate anyone who messages me. Uh, girls I went to high school with that I haven't spoken to in years message me and say, what are my options? And I do tell them, you know, you want to talk to your doctor about these because they are your doctor. But I know from experiences that sometimes doctors, especially in more rural conservative areas, don't want women to know about all the options that are out there. Options that are long-term, such as an IUD or an arm implant that can protect you from pregnancy from three to five years or beyond. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not what I was taught growing up, mm -hmm. certainly. I, I'm aware of these now, but it's from having mm -hmm. female housemates mm -hmm. and simply living with them and having them discuss the daily things that go on mm -hmm. in their lives. And we were talking about IUDs, and I just remembered that the doctors that I worked with talked about the copper IUD that doesn't have any hormones that a lot of women use is being used in places like rural India where women can't see doctors all the time. And this IUD, even though it's approved in the United States for about 10 to 12 years to prevent pregnancy, there it's being used for up to 20 years and beyond. And these women are really able to control now when they want to have kids and if they don't, and they don't have to see a doctor every year to do so. Great. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounded like maybe for moral reasons or for otherwise, the doc you were referring to a doctor earlier that didn't really necessarily give you the full gamut of options. Definitely. How much of that do you think contributes from morality versus maybe not being fully versed in the number of options that are out there within the medical community? I think it definitely could be a mixture of both. Um, but the morality, I think, is definitely a component in highly, you know, evangelical Christian areas. Um, but I think also there is a lack of education in women's health. Um, in certain doctors, they feel like, oh, I just need to know about a birth control pill and that's it. Because that's what a lot of women use. 
which is good, but the birth control pill doesn't work for everyone. There's a lot of other great options out there for people that they should have the chance to explore and to try. Um, for example, when I got my IUD placed in Pittsburgh, I had to have it placed by someone who wasn't my doctor at the time because my doctor at the time was trained in a Catholic hospital and was never taught how to place an IUD. Yeah, I guess I never would have thought about that component. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. How in your personal life have you dealt with this? I, I trust, I assume that you've discussed this with your partner because yes. it sounds like something you're very comfortable discussing and it's been some of your professional work as well. Um, are you comfortable saying a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has been something I've been much more comfortable talking about. Um, I want, like I said, I want people to know just in case they aren't being informed in other areas of their life, like through a medical professional or school. Um, but with my husband and I, um, you know, he, we decided that, you know, we are want to work on preventing having children right now. I'm in grad school and I don't want to deal with a pregnancy on top of studying all the time. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. so um, I was on a birth control pill and I, it worked for me, but I had a lot of high stress about taking it every day at the same exact time. Um, and traveling and as we were planning for our wedding, um, I just felt I was so worried that I was going to miss a pill. And so at that time I decided to try the IUD and I've had it for about t over two years now and I love it. It's great. It's a great option for me. Do you have any other tidbits that you would want to throw in there regarding the topic in general? Um, just, you know. Find someone you can talk to about it. Do your research. Um, know that not all options for birth control are the same. Um, I think a big thing that I struggle with is I see a lot of women who they find an option that doesn't work well for them, and that's fine. That happens. But then um, it becomes a very big thing that they bash and continue to bash. And then I think it kind of scares women off from trying that option for them. Because what works for someone else or doesn't work for someone else may work for you or may not work for you. Um, the, the thing with birth control is you really have to just try what works and what doesn't work. And if you want to prevent pregnancy, these are some of the best ways to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Laura. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and I appreciate your vulnerability in discussing what can be a really sensitive topic for some people. Thank you. All right. Hello, Dunker Punks. I am joined here with two lovely folks from... Manteca, California. They attend the Modesto Church of the Brethren out there. Chuck and Diana Messimer. Um, Chuck and Diana, can you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Chuck Messimer. Uh, as Ben said, we live in Manteca, but attend the Modesto Church of the Brethren, which was my home church as a child. And, uh, although we lived in San Jose for 40 years, we uh, actually kept our membership in 
Universal Church of the Brethren, even though we were attending a Methodist church in San Jose. And I, um, I always remembered that I wanted to be a teacher. I, I used my little toys when I was young, and I was the teacher and told the little toys what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, I just always knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I did that, and um, I had, first of all, kindergarten teachers, uh, and then I went into a first, second grade teacher position. Then I went into sixth grade position and decided that um, that was, the sixth graders were a little bit harder on me than <laughs> <laughs> So uh, went back down into the elementary age group. Your teaching background was awfully helpful for me. Uh, so I met Diana initially when Diana was on the board for Camp Peaceful Pines, and I had come on board as the superintendent for the camp to work there for the uh -huh. summer, and I had no idea what I was doing. And Diana was an excellent teacher. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So that is how I got to know Diana and Chuck through my connection at Camp Peaceful Pines. And uh -huh. one of the stories that stuck out for me about Diana is she had mentioned in a conversation at one point, just getting to know her, that they only had two kids. And it was because she and her husband, Chuck, had decided when they were in high school that they would only have two kids because they wanted to be responsible citizens of the earth and not have more kids than uh, then they would need to replace themselves as part of the human population, which is why I asked them to join us today. So this was this was the decision from back in high school, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but I think we had both okay. kind of decided that that would be our ultimate goal prior to even meeting. And you said, I believe you had mentioned at one point, this has something that was maybe a little bit more commonly discussed in your era than maybe is today. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, you know, the the sixties was kind of the what the hippie generation, <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of a new awareness of, of environmental things and and what population explosion. Could result in, and uh, so I think it was just more probably discussed a little more commonly then than what it probably is now. If we if we wanted only two children, we needed to use birth control. Well, it, in the sixties, was you know birth control was really not widely available to the general public. Uh, until the late 50s, probably. I mean, as far as uh, the birth control pill and, and uh, IUD devices, right? Uh, so anyway, it was kind of a new thing to a lot of people in. Was this something you would have discussed with your friends or with your family? I think my family, uh, we, we probably didn't, really talk about it a lot as far as 
you know, uh, an ultimate goal. But um, I know my parents were were aware of it. But, uh, although, it, see, when they had children, uh, it was still very popular to have more than two children. I have three other siblings, and uh, Diana had, <laughs> had four other siblings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now um, our younger sons both have only two children, and I don't know that it was because we discussed it with them, but I think it was just that that's the way they wanted it to be for them. I guess maybe you all set a good example of what the the reality of having just two kids looked like and the practicality of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. Um, I, I don't recall any specific discussion about it with them, but uh, I'm sure that over the years we... We probably express our opinions about it, but I don't know that we really push them in that direction. Did you have any other friends or peers that made any sort of similar commitment that you know of or that you know only had two kids because they were had the same goals in mind? Well, I, I do know uh, in the Modesto Church uh, there were... Well, I was thinking about that earlier today, and uh, I know one family in particular that just had two, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> because we were in San Jose, period of forty years, and away from you know the church here, I didn't really keep track. Although I'm, I'm sure there were other. Well, I, actually, I, I think of Bob and Lynn Assessor in the Modesto Church. They had two boys. Uh, uh, another family has two kids that I you know of right off the top of my head. Doesn't I, Charlene? They have three. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I, I have cousins that just had two children. Um... Uh, so, yeah, I, I know several other people. So we've talked about some of the social reasons for having only two kids. How has this been impactful as a faith component, from a faith perspective? Mm, that's a good question. That's a hard question. I just think that... We talked about it. We decided that that was what it was going to be. It was the planned, and um, and luckily we managed to have two of our children, and our other children have had two. Our children, not our children. Well, our, <laughs> their children. I would say that it's just it's just being a good steward of the earth. And, uh, how that relates to faith, uh, you know, our faith. Well, and I just think about my um, grandparents and their, their well, great-grandparents, and they had eight children. And so it was down through the time, it was like, that's 
too many children. Well, when you go back two, three, four generations, it was very common for that many children because of the fact that the uh, it wasn't uncommon for children to die at an early age, and they looked at it as a labor force too for their doing, you know, on the farm. They would have uh, the kids doing work on the farm and stuff. I know on my mom's side of the family, there are some large families that have come about in previous generations, uh, and they were farm families as well. They would have 8, 12, 14 kids. Well, and that, go ahead. And at that, at that time, you know, people hadn't figured out that uh, there would be a problem with overpopulation, I think. It was a little difficult to look that far down the road to imagine that there might be too many people on the earth. Well, Chuck and Diana, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk about uh, responsible reproduction and how it is a calling of our faith to be good stewards of the earth and for sharing your stories. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Chuck and Diana for your insights. It's not an easy topic to get into on a denominational level because it's so contentious and I appreciate you opening up the dialogue. It seems like we as a church get caught up with infighting on a select few subjects or advocating for the things that we've always agreed upon and totally forget to talk about super pertinent topics like this one. I never really asked my parents why they only had three kids. I'm sure after having my siblings and I, uh, they were quite done with screaming children and dirty diapers. Shout out to all the Krause kids out there. What up? My grandparents, who are just celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary, like the Messmers, only had two children. Was it for moral reasons, theological ones, environmental consciousness, or just how life panned out? I'm not sure, but I'd like to find out sometime. I do know that in this age of information, it's better to be informed about these things. So continue the dialogue, my friends, as we celebrate this season. It's all about having a little baby child. The Dunkin' Punks podcast is produced by a group of young adults who understand the reproductive process is a big responsibility, who talk about sex sometimes. Well, thanks for making the credits awkward, Ben. <laughs> you can continue the conversation on social media at Dunkerpunks Pod. This podcast was produced by Suzanne Lay. Content provided by the wonderful Ben Bear. And I'm your host, audio editor, and musician, Jacob Krause. This podcast is made possible by the support of the Arlington Church of the Brethren, which you can find more about on arlingtoncob.org, and, of course, by our listeners. Thank you so much. And until next time, peace, Dunker Bunks.